Hello, and welcome to the Craft Brewed Music Podcast, the official podcast of Craft Brewed Music, the music discovery app that streams better music for serious listeners. Here we explore and get to know the creators of that music. I'm Brian Horner, founder and curator of Craft Brewed Music, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Aaron Stamen, a Craft Brewed Music artist. You want to uh, you want to kick off an intro on this one? If you um, don't, I'll do it. Why don't you kick off the intro? And I've, okay. I've got I've got uh, a um, like uh, some things I'd like to get into. It's funny, like after all this time, we're not really prepared, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, I can dig it, man. We'll just free free form it. <laughs> um, we're here for this episode with Andrew Neasley, uh, leader of the New York City collaborative ensemble Jesus on the Main Line, and uh, as well as a number of other projects um, on his own and with others, and uh, looking forward to exploring all of that. Thanks for being with us, Andrew. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So, Andrew, I, I've spent a lot of time uh, this last couple of weeks listening to uh, the Jesus on the Main Line album, mm-hmm. uh, Morning Bell, uh, which has been very enjoyable. Thanks, man. Um, and uh, one of the things that strikes me in these uh, arrangements is the uh, the feature of the brass uh-huh. uh, on tunes like uh, uh, Walls um, and uh, uh, Head Full of Heart. Uh, I really like when these uh, those uh, those brass arrangements uh, come in, and that's the kind of thing that uh, for a lot of modern recordings can be kind of a, a device or something that's like an esoteric production decision but for you the brass is kind of home this is where you're Mm -hmm. coming from yeah absolutely uh you know i am i'm a trumpet player really first i I suppose that's you know throughout my music career that's where i usually paid the bills um so to speak gig wise and uh throughout the various ensembles that i've led um horns have always uh, you know, been a very integral part. And when Jesus on the main line, when I started that ensemble, um, having a brass quintet, um, wasn't necessarily part of, um, what the intention was from the beginning, but it kind of morphed into that largely because I just have a whole lot of brass playing friends, uh, you know, given being, uh, I'm a trumpet player and, then I realized that there was an opportunity here to, uh, you know, use horns a little bit differently than, you know, your standard tenor and a trumpet or, a, you know, a trumpet and a berry, you know, the standard frontline horns uh, sound. And um, also to make something a little different than maybe a traditional brass band where you'd have maybe a sousaphone and the instrumentation that would follow that. And I thought to myself, well, how many you know, how much rock and roll do you see with a brass quintet? Um, and then that, uh, that led me to be able to connect this music I was making now with 
my past, uh, you know, my father uh, is a professional tuba player. Uh, and he's been principal tuba of the Milwaukee Ballet since the 60s. I mean, the guy's been on the same gig for almost 50 years. Wow. Uh, and you don't hear that every day. Yeah. I mean, I'm just like, I'm, it, you know, the pandemic really kind of messed with his, uh, um, his streak right yeah. here, but I think he's going to keep it on, uh, for, for, um, for a few more years. But at any rate, this was a way, an opportunity to connect with my past. Um, and, uh, you know, to try something a little different rock and roll meets, uh, really a classical brass quintet. Well, it's a good way to get on the radar of craft brewed music as well. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's those it's those things that jump out of a sound, you know, that they, they catch our ears. Um, nice. yeah. And that's certainly part of what caught my ear with you guys. What um, where does Jesus on the mainline uh, fit into the big picture for you? You're a New York freelancer doing doing a number of different things, right? What's what's sure, that? Yeah. Tell us more about that. The big picture there. Um. JOTM was uh, really my main creative output for a, a long time, maybe even a decade. And uh, part of my career has been a lot of commissioned work, say for, uh, you know, a, a college has a jazz festival and they have a, uh, a guest artist and that artist needs a couple of new tunes, you know, that are at the request of that college. You know, I'll do a lot of that work or, uh, you know, let's say I'm charting out you know, top 40 tunes for a wedding band to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. Um, and I enjoyed all that, that work work. Uh, but JOTM was a means to, you know, to be creative and uh, let those, let those juices flow. Um, yeah. But what was the, uh, what was the origin? How did it, how did it uh, first come to be? Was it, was it just well, your, your I- favorite 15 musicians? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how it that's that's not too far from the truth you know i i had a band in new york when i first moved here with a songwriting partner named uh, chris voss uh and we had a band called knees and voss and chris has since gone on to a uh, great uh, critical acclaim as a me- member of the band called the record company from uh, los angeles mm-hmm. and that's, this band was a little similar in that it was a lot of people. Um, and, you know, I was much younger than I am now. And a lot of the members of that band weren't in the city. So we were all flying to New York to play at like the bitter end. Um, and it was unsustainable. And Chris decided to move to L.A. And I decided that I wanted my main creative focus to be an ensemble that could actually, you know, go out and play without breaking the bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Um, entered Jesus on the main line, and I, I really, really tried hard to make it like four or five people <laughs> from the get-go, but uh, it you know, didn't work. It was not so much. You know, one one guy, one girl would have to sub out, and you know, we would enjoy the sub so much that you know the band would grow by one, and this happened over the course of about two years uh, until we started to like get around 21 people, then, then it was just like, all right, now we just look ridiculous on Rockwood stage two. Uh, <laughs> maybe let's you know, pull it in just a hair. Um, the, the New York Philharmonic sent you a cease and desist. <laughs> Almost man. It was, it was you know, it, I love that though, because, you know, it really speaks to the, uh, the fun, uh, the good time that that band had and how much, all the musician, 
musicians in it enjoyed each other and um, uh, and how much you know how much fun it was you know well I love the wide open stylistic palette you know it, it, there's a lot in that in the Morning Bell album um, makes for really fun listening you know you should I, one of these days uh, we're gonna release um, all the songs that didn't make it onto that record because um, we really tried to uh, you know make a cohesive uh, album um, but the spectrum of the band is even wider than that record um, you know than that record is um, so there's there's tunes that we were super super proud of that just didn't fit among the other ones so they didn't end up on the on the album um, so the palette is even wider than than I think we let on. Hmm. Yeah, seemingly, you know, I mean, it's, it's daunting for me to like try to hold a trio together, let alone, you know, 15 <laughs> to 20, you know, musicians of diverse backgrounds and different parts of uh, the five boroughs. Um, and so, I mean, the, simply the logistics of getting together and rehearsing and playing would seem daunting, but actually composing and arranging for that size ensemble would also seem daunting, daunting for someone. But it seems like you kind of had a, a background that allowed you to feel comfortable with that with with you know, experience in big bands and arranging uh, prior to, to coming to uh, that project? Yeah, uh, our, our uh, you know, method of, of operations in that band was, you know, very little rehearsal. Um, but that was really possible because of the incredible caliber of cats that we had. You know, nobody needed to... Um, I was very comfortable in saying, read the ink dudes and dudettes. Um, so I would bring charts for a, a lot, a lot of the stuff, especially for the brass and even for the, uh, the rhythm, the rhythm sections that, you know, that maybe typically wouldn't be looking at charts. Um, so it, it occasionally made the stessel, the stage a little messy, but it was super easy to, uh, be a new person or a sub in that band and come, come in and nail it because it was some kind of combination of, you know, reading well, well put together charts and a frenzy, you know, it was, it was like, there were sections where it was, Oh my gosh, we're about to fall apart, pull it together. And then it was like, Oh, everybody reads the ink and we're going to be just great. You know, yeah, yeah. a lot there. So a lot of it was co-written. Was it, were you doing the music and Tim was doing lyrics or how did that, how did that break down? Man, I'll tell you the, the writing process of the morning bell was, hands down the most fun, the most en enriching um, and the toughest thing I've ever done creatively. Uh, Tim and I, and um, you know, there were other, a, a few other, you know, pinch hit writers uh, on the record, but Tim and I uh, definitely mainly wrote songs any way we could, you know, some, sometimes that was, one idea smash cut to a full demo smash cut to the recording that you you guys listen to uh, sometimes that was us going up to vermont and spending a week in a cabin just the two of us with you know four guitars uh, a couple keyboards a violin and a couple brass instruments and like literally picking away at an idea until we got something out of it. You know, there were days when it was, you know, Tim lived in, um, 
uh, Crown Heights-ish, and I was in Harlem, so you know it was an hour to get over there uh, or an hour for him to get to me. And just because of that simple travel time, it was like, well, I got all the way over here. Let's not screw around. We got to put pen to paper. Um, we got to put hands on instruments and we got to bleed until we get something that's, uh, you know, worth our time. Um, and it was tough a lot of the times. And, um, you know, I come from this, uh, I, I don't know if it's because of my academic background, but I, I enjoy being able to do things like really quickly, you know, mm -hmm. oh, you need a, a cabaret set overnight for, you know, full orchestra. I got you, you know, um, and that immediacy to a lot of my creativity, uh, you know, made it suffer. And our process that, that Tim and I developed was, uh, you know, so much more patient. And uh, it was because of that necessary patience, it was extremely <laughs> difficult sometimes. But boy, was the, the payoff um, personally spectacular. You know, I, I don't think we, I, you know, I'm not out here curing cancer, but like that, that was a really fulfilling thing uh, for me to go through personally, um, to watch that creative process grow in myself. And um, I'm definitely a better person and a better writer for it. Was that true of the lyric writing as well, that it was a in-the-moment collaborative process with, uh, with Tim? You know, there, there goes uh, another, as, as wide a dynamic range there is on the record, there's a wide approach to how that stuff happens. So there were some songs where Tim would, and Tim is an incredible lyricist on top of being an incredible uh, composer and uh, instrumentalist. Uh, sometimes he would come with a, uh, you know, a vision all laid out. Sometimes we'd pick at things. Uh, sometimes I would come with a hook and say, this is it. Um, but I, I would say, generally speaking, Tim is the, the brilliance of the lyrics on a lot of the things that we've done together. And in terms of, of, of your particular stamp, on uh, JOTM, um, there's a, a a recurring feature in these in these tunes where it starts out feeling like a like a song uh, that uh, you know is is very um, is very personal and kind of upfront, and then kind of evolves into an anthem uh, by the end. Mm -hmm. uh, and that that uh, particular and and I thought I think you know very stylishly done uh, transition uh, I imagine is more of your stamp on the music as a uh, as a skilled arranger yeah you know we we because we had such a, a wide palette of instruments uh, it's really easy for a lot of the tunes to turn that direction because uh, we can grab at so many different colors some of it went very anthemic um, but we actually took that away from some of the songs um, purposefully so that everything fit um, as a piece of a puzzle and not just a smattering of um, songs, you know, that maybe would be radio ready. You know, we wanted a concrete album. Right. So you'd, you'd alluded to some of the, the unreleased material that was that same batch of songs. Are there, mm -hmm. are there things that uh, stray into more uh, unusual and esoteric territory? Yeah. Um, well, both ways actually. Um, but that's, kind of the nature when you have so many 
different instruments to deal with, but also so many leading voices. I mean, you, I might be the leader of Jesus on the main line, but there's like, you know, four or five different vocal, you know, concepts on, on that album. You know, Natalie Cressman sings the kind of the lead vocals on Head Full of Heart. Uh, and before we recorded that, she had, I don't think she'd ever sang on a gig with us. <laughs> really? Yeah. You know, I just, I mean, I know Natalie, I've known Natalie for years since our, our days in Manhattan School of Music. And I, of course, knew that she had this beautiful voice. And when the song was written, uh, Tim and I can affect that, that particular vibe. But I was thinking to myself, Natalie's going to come over to record the trombone stuff. She should sing this. You know, why not? personal favorites off uh, the Morning Bell album is Synesthesia. And I'm wondering who in the group is the synesthete? That's Tim. Yeah. Okay. Or rather, he, I, don't, I don't know if he, if he's ever really experienced synesthesia, but um, the genesis of that tune uh, was from, from Tim. And I, I think it's fantastic uh, because I think it's really kind of a departure for him uh, musically because he's a songwriter. And that's certainly a song, but not in the uh, sense that we consider songwriters songwriters. You know, that's obviously an instrumental tune. And a, uh, I added my arrangemental chops to it, but um, Tim definitely led the way arrangementally as an arranger, I should say, as a arranger, um, and opened my mind to, you know, different, different ways of approaching arranging myself. I enjoy that tune a lot too. Yeah, I love the the vocoder uh, effect you have at the beginning is is a is a great uh, intro to the uh, to the tune. You know that that's a a line that I think we were in the studio and for as much as we planned, almost down to like the incredible minutia for that record, there were also lots of spots where I would run into the. Uh, you know, I'd stop everything and say, put up a vocal mic. Uh, well, let me just try this one thing. And then it would end up being cool. And I think that's one of those moments uh, where we added a little nibble um, kind of in the moment. 
Is that is that you at the beginning of that tune? Yeah, that's really yeah. cool. For 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 uh, uh, for our listener out there, uh, synesthesia is the experience of um, taking the input of one sensory modality uh, like sound and experiencing it as the output of another modality like a visual thing and assigning certain colors to sounds. Um, and there's um, people in the classical canon who've, who've, who've used uh, synesthesia as, as inspiration for their, for their music. And people in the, in the jazz world who talk about, you know, a dominant chord looking like a certain color versus, you know, a minor sure. chord looking like another color. I definitely feel like that sometimes. I don't know that I've ever experienced the uh, sensory, um, you know, changes, but, you know, a flat minor has a certain vibe to it that C minor doesn't have, you know, and I, I definitely feel yeah, different like tonalities, yeah, different like vibration know? level. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, I, yeah I think, I think everyone in, in music and a lot of people who are just, you know, listeners of music do experience particular, um, particular sounds, particular harmonies, uh, as a, as a certain feeling. And then there are a select few who actually incorporate that into a visual experience. Oh, so that's, wild. That's, that's what uh, what synesthesia is. So that's it's a great idea, a great concept for uh, um, for uh, for a musical piece. a lot of fun to uh to record i i i don't often go back and listen to um old recordings uh, you know nostalgia doesn't speak to me very often but occasionally i'll be among friends and they'll have that on a playlist or you know it'll be on shuffle and i'll hear something and it, it just brings so many fond memories of uh um that process and that of that time and it wasn't that long ago, but 
um, you know, given what's happened in the world since that record came out, it feels like a whole nother lifetime ago. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So does the band still fill that creative um, place in your career or are there other projects now that have taken the place of that? Is it is it ongoing or, or what? You know, I don't think I ever, you know, 100% say goodbye to any project despite the previous statement about not <laughs> not enjoying nostalgia that much. Sure. But, um, you know, I mentioned my buddy Chris from, you know, the record company, you know, we're going to make more music at some point in our life. It, you know, the gap's been a number of years now, but, um, you know, we still trade text messages about the Packers, you know, <laughs> well, this summer it was like daily, but, <laughs> um, and, um, while JOTM might be on any, you know, some kind of hiatus right now, just because it's, you know, it's difficult to put an audience of 16 people in one darn room, much less a band, mm-hmm, right. um, that, you know, my next project under Andrew Paul, you know, Tim and I, wrote a song together and we continue to write songs together. And, you know, the people that I'll call on to fix my, give me my creative fix are still going to be part of that larger Jesus on the mainline family. Um, but really that's a New York city family at this point, you know, it's not really uh, special GOTM. It's just, this is, these are the people that are in the city and that I know and love yeah. and that I respect musically. Yeah. So you sent us this uh, this new tune, which I understand is going to be released as a single called "Get Up." Yeah, coming out. It'll, uh, be, it'll be this Friday, as of the release of this episode, August twentieth. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. Um, it was written by Tim and I, um, and I think had it been performed as Jesus on the Main Line, it, it may sound more J O. TME ish, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and we should, so we should, we've talked about Tim so much. Tim Emmerich is who we're talking about. Yeah. Tim is just such a wonderful songwriter um, and lyricist and uh, performer. Uh, and so for Get Up, you were collaborating as well uh, on the music and the lyrics? Uh, I think on this one, Tim wrote the lyrics. Uh, I had written the melody and it was really one of those days when I thought to myself, boy, um, I want to record something. I want to make something. And as, um, what's the word for it? As great as we all think we are, <laughs> you know, sometimes you need, uh, you need a hand. Sometimes, uh, some help is everything that you need. And, you know, it's not all just one person. It's never really is, but as much as I wanted to have a solo project, uh, and that's certainly what this is, um, is great to get that ball rolling any way possible. And that meant, hey, Tim, boy, I'm stuck on some some lyrics for this. What do you think of this tune? And then, you know, a week or two later, he sends me this, uh, these beautifully written lyrics that worked perfectly. Yeah, it's, I, uh, when I, when I heard the song for the first, the first time, I, I wrote down, deliciously chunky gospel tune it's oh, <laughs> kind of how nice. i experienced it <laughs> you can use that for free andrew 
<laughs> I mean, that kind of hits the nail on the head. I mean, I really appreciate that that uh, thought on it. Um, I'm not a guitarist, or at least I wasn't. Um, and everyone kind right. of is. I mean, <laughs> how hard is it, really? I can play in G. You don't need an embouchure for a guitar. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, everybody thinks they can run a uh, run a bar and play guitar. Those are two things I know they're true. <laughs> and uh, um, and during the or actually a little bit before the pandemic, I decided that, uh, you know, I was going to do an about face and GOTM required uh, that large group of people. And for as much success as the band did have, and of all the sold out shows and records and the few festivals we did, I'm super proud of every bit of it. Um, but logistically, it's just, you know, it's just tough. Um, and so I wanted a project that was, uh, you know, a little, little easier to pull off. And I knew that was going to require some different skills from me. So, you know, I bought a Telecaster on Craigslist local pickup (laughs) and said, how do I, how do I make this thing work? Um, and that line that begins that tune, uh, was, um, kind of a, really a direct, you know, ripoff, I should say, of, of one of my good friends and guitar heroes, Jim Campolongo. Um, and I think we were, we were playing one day together and he had, he had that sound running through his Princeton, that classic Jim Campolongo sound. Um, and it just really spoke to me. And I, I wondered if I could write something um, that had that particular charisma in it. take a quick intermission for a word from our sponsor, which is us. Craft Brood Music is a curated streaming service that streams better music for serious listeners. Sometimes we hear that people want to hear more of the songs we play on the podcast. There are a couple of ways to hear more Craft Brood Music. 
You can download the app from the App Store or Google Play and get a free trial. Or you can become a patron of the podcast on Patreon, linked in the description of each episode, and get exclusive bonus episodes containing extra music and a sampling of our other artists. We'll help you discover music off the beaten path so that you become the person your friends turn to for recommendations, and we split our income with the artists. Craft Brood Music, better music for serious listeners. To hear samples and find out more about us, visit craftbroodmusic.com. This is a question that we've asked of, of other artists in the past, mainly because the craft food music and this roster of artists and this um, uh, this this streaming uh, app that uh, that Brian's created features a lot of genre blending and genre bending. Uh-huh. Uh, and you're somebody, yeah. you know, as I as I kind of delve back further, I listened to some some knees and Voss, which kind of mm-hmm. has, you know, it's got the big ensemble with the brass, but it's also got kind of like a house hip hop vibe go- going on. Yeah. Um, and contemporaneous with that, you're, you're playing with the, the, the Bobby Sanabria uh, big band, which is kind of a, a Latin big band. Sure. Yeah. And then uh, at the same time as uh, Jesus on the main line, you're, you're, you know, composing and arranging for David Whitman, who's a uh, jazz drummer. Mm-hmm. And I listened to O'Clara, which is a beautiful album featuring a lot oh, of your compositions. Yeah. Uh, um, and all this stuff is going on contemporaneously. So you're definitely comfortable playing in very idiomatic uh, genres like, like, you know, Latin big band or a traditional jazz combo. And then you got like this mashup like you do for uh, uh, Jesus on the main line. And I'm curious how you conceive of, uh, of genre uh, and whether you think about it at all. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And never. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I say that, you know, to be a little, little funny, but um, I think I find clave in rock and roll, you know, and I find uh, Louis Armstrong in Stevie Wonder. And, uh, you know, I find, um, I find dance in Mahler, you know, and I think there are these threads that, you know, quantifiably connect all this stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, the more you, you know, try to connect it all, the more it all makes sense. I don't know if that makes any sense, you know. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, we were just yeah. talking about that before before you joined us in the conversation. We were talking about, you oh, know, nice. yeah, with the Beatles and all this different stuff that, that is sort of craft, you know, as I'm working with it now in this company. Um, stuff that is famous, so it's not, but that, you know, these, these combinations are everywhere. Yeah. Um, it's It's... I don't always write and perform with that in my mind. I wish maybe I did it more, uh, but uh, I think I find some of my best creativity when I'm like, oh man, I get it now. <laughs> you know, you have those one moments, the light bulb goes off and you figure out why, you know, Biggie's rhyme structure speaks. Is that it like, it's clave in a lot of places. <laughs> like it's not rocket science, you know what I mean? Um, you know, how how does that apply to everything else? And then, you know, I think maybe in, even that, in this new song, I hope that there are probably some of those little, um, connections between, you know, my jazz career and my rock and roll career and my Afro-Cuban career. You know, I think if I was forced to sit down and try to pick it apart, I could probably show a, a couple portions of that tune that 
pointed at each one of those different genres. Um, you know, it's definitely a, a rock and roll tune, but, uh, you know, all these genres are all each other um, in some form. Uh, that's sounds a little out there, I guess, but <laughs> I don't know. It's, 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 it's just like synesthesia. It's like taking like that feeling you get that's, uh, that's, that's, you know, personal to you, but kind of relating it, putting it in a, in a context that's, that's familiar, like a, like a sound becoming a color. Yeah. Um, I think it's the same kind of thing when you take a, uh, a trope from the past and realize it in a modern way, uh, right. you're, you're kind of, you know, experiencing it with a different sensory modality. Yeah, totally. So back to the solo stuff that's coming out, you've, you're putting out yeah. this single this week. Uh, you mentioned there's more to follow that. Is it, are they going to be released toward, you know, compiling an album or on their own or what's, uh, what lays ahead? Well, the process I'm, you know, I, I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> we need you to have a pretty concrete plan on it. <laughs> Man. So, so does my partner. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. My, my lovely uh, fiance, Laura, um, has been integral to my musical endeavors and to my, my business endeavors too. But um, the, at the end of Jesus on the main line, we had such purpose and um Every bit of music I'm going to do forward also has equal amount of purpose, but I'm wondering what's possible uh, if I return to, um, or if I just try a, a different road, you know? So I'm, I want to make a lot more music and I've got a lot of stuff in the can and I've got a lot of stuff um, in that stage before you get it in the can. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm wondering where my creativity flows uh, if I don't say to myself, it's gotta be this thing, you know, we never did that with the morning bell. Um, but I think, you know, musicians, it's really easy to get sucked into what's this all for, you know, especially if you're, you know, you're not making a zillion dollars doing it. Um, and the point of the solo project is to, um, give everything my, my very best. Um, but at, that, at some point present what that is. And that means, you know, maybe not making everything 3000% perfect. Um, and maybe that means not adding everything, uh, and the kitchen sink into a tune. Um, you know, I, I'm still discovering what this new process is going to mean for me. And I, I think, part of the fun with the subsequent songs is going to be watching how that unfolds, you know, uh, from the listener perspective, you know, if anybody's paying attention that long, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think it's a time of a lot of, um, for a lot of musicians of kind of, um, taking stock, you know, we've been forced to step back. Um, and you know, and also there's not the automatic possibility of live shows, you know, we're seeing that be threatened again now. Um, yeah. so I'm hearing that, that, you know, th this kind of thoughtfulness from a lot of people that we talk to, um, you know, and maybe that, uh, to try to put a silver lining on it, maybe that, uh, inspires creativity, you know, but it's certainly yeah. challenging as well. Indeed. Um, I mean, it's, 
scary as shit too. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Perhaps primarily. <laughs> but I love, I love being scared, you know, cause that means that, uh, I, I also feel like I'm at a part of my musical life where, um, I'm comfortable being afraid, you know, it, it's okay to write a song that, you know, is, um, very personal and it's all right to crack on that one note, you know, mm-hmm. because yeah. this is a, a portrait of, of me and, you know, I'm not perfect. And I, I'd like that to be the, um, you know, the, the end product is not the perfection, but the, yeah. uh, you know, the realness of it. Yeah. More single takes more, more, you know, kind of raw authenticity. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I think that really, you know, that really has the added benefit of, you know, truth, <laughs> you right. know, and I, I love trying to go after that and discover what that, what that means a little, a little deeper. Craftbrood Music, both the podcast and the streaming service, has the mission of promoting this music and these artists. We can't do that without ears on the music. So if you like what you've heard here, we're going to ask two small favors. First, tell someone about the podcast. Secondly, go to the App Store or Google Play, download the Craftbrood Music app, and try a free two-week trial of the streaming service. For more information, visit us at craftbrewedmusic.com. Thanks again, and see you next time.